Thank you. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we're thankful that you never forsake us. So, Lord, we pray that you be with us now. Lord, I pray specifically that you stand in front of me while I stand in front of them. That you talk, in, that you talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, do this for your glory and their good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Psalm 22, if you'd like to turn to Psalm 22 this morning. And if you're just joining us, we've been working through a series on the grace of lament. Lament, I, I had never done much with lament because I, because I thought it was a hopeless wallowing. I thought lament was giving up. I thought lament was um, just not for people like me. And... And then I learned the grace of lament through experiencing a lot of pain. Who <laughs> learned why you do lament. And lament is to move you from one spot to another. Lament is to move you closer to Christ. Lament is meant to take your loss and let your loss lead you to God. It's, it's meant for your pain to be a path to God. And so... We try to draw a diagram of what lament light might look like, and it begins with really a turning to the Lord. And, and we talked about how when you're in pain or when you've lost something, when, when, you're, when you're suffering in some ways, it's easy to get turned around and to turn your back on God. And lament insists, and lament starts with turning towards God. Then, it's telling God what's wrong. So you need, to, you need to tell God what's wrong before what's wrong becomes malignant in your soul. Don't let the pain putrefy into bitterness. Don't let the loss make you get lost. Tell God what's wrong. Then, well, then we're going to talk about the next step this morning. So we, we, we're going to see, as we sang, I will never, never, never forsake you. Never, never leave you alone. Never, never, never. I think as Ken pointed out when he was beginning this song, I think this is, as he pointed out, this is throughout the Bible so many times because it's so hard for us to believe it's true. It, it, and it's so hard for us to remember it's true. It's so hard for us to feel that it's true because we can feel forsaken sometimes, especially when things keep going wrong. So that's what we'll see in this psalm is we'll see, we'll see things keep going wrong for the psalmist and we'll talk about what's wrong and why it went wrong and, and who God is in it. So, so if we start with the what, this psalm will talk a lot about What's wrong? And, and really to get the most out of the psalm, I think it would help you if you ask yourself, what went wrong for you this last year? What did you lose this last year? What happened to you 
this last year. We've talked about how we've all lost opportunities. We've lost closeness to family and friends. We've all lost stuff. Bad stuff has happened. What happened to you? What did you lose? Who did you lose? See, if you start to think about this for a minute, and this is what will happen for the psalmist, you'll start asking, why? Why would God allow this? Why would God allow this? Why didn't God keep this from happening? And the question that the psalmist is going to start with is, why did God forsake me? Why is he so far from me? Why isn't he helping me? And what we'll see is, we'll see the psalmist bounce back and forth between the what and the why, and the who, of who God is. Remembering who God is and what God is like. And how do you reconcile what we know is true about God with what we're going through, and our questions about why are we going through it. So that's what we'll see this morning as we work through Psalm 22. So it starts like this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I I think there are some of us that are going, you know, I don't think think that's an okay question to ask. I don't think we should ask God, why have you forsaken me, when the Bible says that God will never forsake me. But the psalmist asks that question, why have you forsaken me? Because this is how he feels. You know the... You know, the psalmist wasn't the only one to ask this question. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, it's about 3 p.m. and it's scary dark. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. That is, and you all know it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Are you so far? Watch that word far. If you write in your Bible, you might circle that word far. You'll see it again two more times in this psalm. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God. Now he's talking about what's wrong. Okay, so he's asking why before, and now he's talking about the what of what's wrong. Oh my God. I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So we talked about the what, of what's wrong, and the why, of why would God allow this? Why is he so far away? Why has he forsaken me? We started with the what and the why, and now we're back to, okay, now who is God? He's like the yet, yet this is what I know is true about God. I'm experiencing that stuff, but here's what I know is true. And, and I just, if I could, if I could just... Do something absurd to get your attention just for a second here. What's the first truth that he anchors his soul to about God? That God is holy. Do you know what that means? Holiness is purity. That God is completely, utterly pure, that there is no trace of dishonesty in God, that there is no trace of cruelty in God, 
that there is no trace of evil or sin or anything untrustworthy in God. This is what he anchors his soul to. Like, this is what I know is true. Above all else, this is the first thing that I have to affirm about God. When I, when I feel like I'm forsaken, when I feel like he's left me for dead, when I feel like he's far and far away, when I'm going through all the stuff I'm going through, what do I have to start with? That he is wholly good. And he is enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. See, he's remembering who God is. He is holy, and he has been trustworthy for generations. They trusted him. Well, and look what happened. Now, you might mark that word trusted. You'll see it three times in these couple of verses. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. God, this is how it's supposed to work. They trusted you, you delivered them. I'm not sure why I'm trusting you and you're not delivering me, but I know this is how it worked for them. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. That's what I know is true. But, now he's back to the what's wrong. But, I'm a worm. And not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Does that remind you of anyone? They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. So in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells about how Jesus is on the cross and that all who pass by mocked him or derided him, and they were wagging their heads at him. And saying things like, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Does that remind you of anything? Does that remind you of Jesus on the cross? He trusts in God, they say. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Yet, so he's back to the, okay, what is God like? What do I know is true about God? He's talked about the what's wrong. Now he's going to remember who God is. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You have been faithful to me my whole life. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. And you, on you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Here's what I know. I know that I have trusted you my whole life. And in some ways, it makes it harder and it makes it worse that I don't understand why this has happened to me right now and I don't understand what I'm going through right now, but I know you've been faithful to me my whole life. So he says. Why don't you read those five words with me? The five words in green. Be not Far from me. Hey, where have you seen that word far before? Verse 1, that's right. He's saying, why are you so far from me? And so this is his request. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. God, here's what I know. I know that you are my only hope. 
So just thinking back through, just for a minute, if we can call time out and just think, just think back for a minute about the process of lament that we've talked about. First, you turn to the Lord. Did you see the psalmist turn to the Lord so far? I sure think so. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's turning to the Lord. And it's, and it's saying what's wrong. There's a lot of stuff wrong. You've forsaken me. You're far from me. The bad guys are getting me. You're not helping me. I can't sleep at night. You know, I cry to you all night long, and you don't even hear. I cry to you all day long, and you don't answer. Like, like there's a lot of saying what's wrong. And then here's this next step. He asks God for help. Be not far from me. Ask God for help. So you don't want to just get stuck in complaining. You don't want to just get stuck in telling God what's wrong. because that's, that's a bad place to stay. You need to own it. You need to acknowledge it. You need to say what's wrong so it doesn't become cancerous in your soul. So it doesn't, it doesn't putrefy. You need to own it and say it and say it out loud so you can see it. But don't stay there. Take the next step of asking God to help. Now here's how. Here's how he asked God to help. He asked God, starting back in verse 3, yet you are holy. Here's what I know about God, that he is holy. So he's asking, he's asking for help based on what he knows about God, that God is utterly pure, that God is holy, that God is good, that God doesn't have a trace of evil in him. So he asks for help based on God's character. You wouldn't ask for God, uh, God for, for help in the same way if you thought he was trying to use you or abuse you or take advantage of you. You ask differently when you believe this about God's character. He asks for help based on God's character. He asks for help based on how God has helped his forefathers. So verse 4, And you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried and were rescued. Verse 5, In you they trusted and were not put to shame. He's like, Here what I know. here's what I know. Abraham cried out to God. Isaac cried out to God. Jacob cried out to God. All those, all those men struggled with infertility, and they cried out to God on behalf of their wives, and their wives got pregnant. I know that you cried. You answered their prayers. That's what I know. He's like, I know that Samuel asked for help, and David asked for help, and Solomon asked for help leading the people. I know they cried to you and that you answered them. I know Isaiah cried out to you. And Jeremiah cried out to you. And Ezekiel cried out to you because you were asking them to say stuff that they were kind of afraid to say. You were asking them to say stuff that people really didn't want to hear. They came to you for courage and you helped them. So help me. He cries based on God's character. Like this is what I know is true about God, that he is holy. Based on the past faithfulness of God, that God had been faithful to his forefathers, but also that God had been faithful to him as he looks back on his life. Verse 9, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. Look, you've been faithful to me since birth. You've been my God since birth. So I'm coming to you asking for help 
based on who you've been and based on who you are and based on who I know you will be. Ask God for help. How do you ask God for help? Well, based on his past faithfulness. Here's what's wrong. Many bulls encompass me. See, this isn't just, okay, you pray it, you said the formula, and now you're at, at peace. I mean, this is, this is something that you kind of wrestle through. And as you wrestle through it, you're going to kind of cycle through this process a couple, a couple more times. Many bulls encompass me. Look, notice surrounded words. Okay, you're going to see a couple surrounded words in the next couple verses. Four, if I remember right. And and it's going to be this feeling. I don't know if you've ever had it, but you feel like you're surrounded by evil and you're surrounded by problems. And he's asking for help because only God can help him. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring, like a ravening and roaring lion, almost like a monster. As big as a bull, as mean as a lion, and I am poured out like water. It's like, okay, I'm surrounded by evil, and I am totally drained. You know what it's like to be totally drained, totally emptied out, where you're just completely exhausted? I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, yet you lay me in the dust of death. This is what's wrong. He's telling God what's wrong. For dogs, there is a surrounding word again, for dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet, and I can count all my bones, and they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Here I am naked and they're gambling for my clothes. Does that sound familiar? I bet it does. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and they've crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. But you, O God, do not be far off. Something struck me as I was studying this this week, and, and that's that he doesn't ask with question marks. What does he ask with? Exclamation point. I don't know about you, but I don't ask for stuff with exclamation points very often. Especially not to my superiors. I don't even ask for exclamation with exclamation points to my equal. Hey, give me that. <laughs> like, no, we don't talk to each I don't talk, we don't talk to each other like that. So why is he talking to God with exclamation points? But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Now, I mean, this is not the last exclamation point you're gonna see. Oh, you my help, come quickly to my aid. I mean, this is, this is a request, but it's also really a, we, you need to do this right now. So he says, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. For you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. 
See, when you ask God for help, you ask based on the past, but you also have permission. This is the thing that you probably don't believe. And even if you, you say you believe it, you probably don't practice it. You have permission to ask boldly. You have permission to ask in exclamation points. Because the psalmist knows that these are the kind of prayers that God answers. So he's going to God saying, you answer these kinds of prayers. I've seen my forefathers have these kinds of prayers answered. I've had these kinds of prayers answered. So please answer my prayers. These prayers that I'm praying to you, that I'm lifting to you, they are in keeping with your character, and they are in keeping with your promises. This is what you're like, that you answer these prayers, so answer these prayers. I'm always afraid I'm going to sound stupid uh, when I'm talking about the military, because I've never been in the military, and so I don't want to sound like I know something about something I don't know about. So the best I can do is, like, say, well, I've seen a movie or two about the military. And uh, the, the phrase that comes to my mind, I guess, when I, when I see the psalmist praying like this, is like when, like when I'm just going to sound like a moron for a minute. Like when a, gen, or like when a private is talking to a general, and the general asks him about something, the private says, permission to speak freely, sir. Like, like, are you going to hold me accountable for what I say next? Like, like can I say something that might, might be hard for you to hear without getting in trouble? Permission to speak freely, sir. Listen to me. God has given you permission to speak freely to him. He'd love for you to ask. And he'd love for you to ask boldly. We know this because this is how the psalmist prays. He goes on. He has turned to the Lord. He has told the Lord what's wrong. He has asked based on the past and he has asked boldly. And now, now watch the transformation that takes place. I will tell of your name to my brothers. It's like going to church and being like, you know what God did for me this week? Let me tell you what God is like. Let me tell you how God answered my prayers this week. Or let me tell you how God came through for me, how God supported me, how God lent me his strength this week. I will tell of your name among my brothers in the midst of the congregation, like I'm going to church and I'm going to praise the Lord and I will praise you. For you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the, the affliction of the afflicted. For he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I'll perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
all the ends of the earth. So he's, now he's talking about how the salvation is going out from Israel, out to the whole ends of the earth. Hey, where do, where do you think that finds its fulfillment? Of course, in the New Testament, in the Great Commission. I mean, this psalm looks forward to Jesus in so many ways. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. Remember when Jesus is going back up into heaven, he says, all authority in heavens and on earth has been given unto me. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. This will go from generation to generation to generation. That he has done it. What is this saying about the salvation of God? That it is finished. He has done it. Like in John 19, where Jesus, after receiving the sour wine, cries out, It is finished. He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves as he purchased us salvation. See, so ask. You ask based on the past of what you know is true about God. You ask based on biblical truth. And you have permission to ask boldly. Then, then you praise him. Then you praise him. You Come to the congregation and praise him. And what happens? What happens in that praise is you think about what he's done for you. But let's stop. Let's stop and look at what he's done for us. Let's stop and think about his salvation. So if you're in chapter 22, you know, Psalm 22, and you think about how he did it, you just have to know, he starts out with, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You just have to know he was forsaken so that you wouldn't have to be. And as you come and you sing songs like never, never, never will you leave me alone and you remember he was forsaken so I never would be. You sing songs like that, it kind of brings you back to remembering your salvation. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever the why questions are that you have, you remember your salvation, that he was forsaken so that you never, never, never would be. Or, or you, come, you come to a verse like chapter 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. And you think of Jesus hanging naked and ashamed, beaten almost to death as he's being tortured to death. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Just as a dad, I'm just, I just I can't, can't get my head around, can't get my heart around seeing my, one of my sons naked and, and beaten and mocked on a cross and deciding, I'm going to let him die. So I can save them. But that's what God did for you. 
He let his own son die so that he could save you. I'm saying as, as, you, as you think about that and you meditate on he gave his life for me, he allowed his son to die for me, he kind of gets bigger. As you think about verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. As you think of Jesus being stripped and hanging naked on the cross, he let that happen. And he allowed them to gamble for his clothes so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. And as we read of the nations coming to him and praising him, and we read that he has done it, that it is finished, that he did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Here's what I'm saying this does for us. It takes the what and the why questions and it makes them very small because they get overwhelmed in the who God is wonder and how he has saved us in the salvation that he has wrought through the blood and the death of his son and his resurrection. I'm not saying, I'm not saying what's wrong gets fixed right away. I'm not saying your questions about why all get answered right away. I'm saying bring them to the throne. As you turn to God, as you tell God what's wrong, as you meditate on who God is and how he has kept his promises and how he has saved us, it may be that at least for a while they are overwhelmed with who God is. So turn to God. Turn to God and tell God what's wrong. And then ask God for help. Let me, let me, just, let me just close with this. Because um, I, I don't think I've told you anything new this morning. I think that if I would have told you, you should ask God for help, if you've ever been in church before, you'd say, well, duh. I mean, I already know that. If I told you, you should ask God um, to help based on who God is or based on what he's done in the past, you'd say, well, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't ask, for, ask God to keep promises he hasn't made. Of course, that's true. If I told you, you should ask God boldly, like you can, you can bring big requests to him, you'd say, yeah, yeah, I already knew that. So I really haven't told you anything, anything you don't already know. But here's the thing. I don't think we're all doing it. I think we know a lot more than we actually do. Now, why is that? Well, here's my question, I guess. My question is, like, maybe... Like we talked about last week, maybe you grew up in a family that looked kind of like this. 
where you're close together, but you kind of run into each other. And there's, there's not a lot of closeness in the sense of like emotional trust with each other. When you do talk and it's not yelling and screaming, maybe it was like talking about logistics of, okay, you, you go do your jobs and I'll do my jobs. And there's a lot of arguing about what's fair. Like I feel like I'm doing more than you over here. My day's been harder than your day. Oh no, my day's been harder than your day. And that's about the depth of the conversation that takes place. And, and in order for like this to go on, everyone kind of has to live in denial about how they feel about it. So no one actually owns how they feel about how terrible this is. So the system can perpetuate itself. You can keep living like that. And no one trusts anyone because trust is stupid you know, in, a, in a family system like this. So, so there's there's no communication, there's no acknowledging how you feel about anything, and there is no trust. So what happens in a family system like that when you ask for help? Well, it gets punished. It gets mocked. It gets laughed at. And you learn to figure it out on your own. That's what happens. So I wonder if even though we know we can ask God for help, we don't. Because in another way, we've learned not to ask God for help. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying God is not like this. He is not like this. Go back and reread those verses on the cross. He is not like this. He is turning to you with loving arms of forgiveness, with loving arms of welcome. He loves you like a prodigal. He wants you to come home. Come home. Turn to him. Tell him what's wrong and ask him for help. He'd be pleased that you would trust him that way. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you pull us towards yourself, that you help us trust you, that you help us lean on you. Lord, do this for your glory and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.